Well, good morning. As the gentleman hand out the handouts, I want to just emphasize the understanding and applying God's Word uh, conference that we're going to be having. Uh, we, did, we did one on Colossians, right? And that was on discourse, teaching from an epistle. This one will be on narrative, and in particular, understanding an Old Testament narrative and how you can uh, find Christ in those passages because all the scriptures are about Him. But then also finding Christ and then finding out how that text applies to you. So I would encourage you to uh, sign up uh, for that uh, conference. It'll be five Sundays. But start reading 1 Samuel. Uh, It's a wonderful book and it points uh, so gloriously to Christ in so many ways. And so I would encourage you to uh, start reading that now. I find it interesting that the disciples, after the death of our Lord, went fishing, right? They kind of went back to what they knew as they were waiting for him. And then Jesus appeared on the shore, right? And, and uh, of course, they're trying to drag their nets in. And, and then Peter recognizes that it's the Lord, right? And he jumps in the water and swims up to the shore. And, and they're fishing, but... When they get to the shore, Jesus is sitting, and he's sitting around a fire. And what's on the fire? Fish. He already had fish, right? They're out there toiling away, doing what they know, but he's already provided. And in our text today, we're going to start in Matthew 6, verse 19, and then we're going to get to Genesis, and we're going to look at a particular uh, instance. Uh, instance in the life of Abraham. But as you're turning to Matthew 6, I want to say to you that the highest priority in your life should be God's kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, seeking his will and seeking to be like him in righteousness. That should be our priority. Seeking to do his will, seeking to be like him in righteousness. Jesus points this out in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 33. Now, I could preach a sermon on it. I promise you, we're going to move through this fast so we can get back to Genesis and, and Abraham. But I love this passage in Matthew 6, especially verse 33, where we conclude. It's, it's a, a life verse for me, one of a, a couple that are my favorite in the scriptures. But Jesus begins by pointing out that what you treasure reveals your heart. And we need to treasure the things of God. And so he says in Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we need to treasure the things of God. Those are eternal things. Those are lasting things. You can can work and buy buy you a humongous house down here with a really nice race car, and it's going to get old, and it's going to rust, and it's it's not going to last for eternity. So why work so hard for that? Work for the Lord. And, And then he goes on to say, as Christians, we should be generous with our earthly possessions. And, and he gives kind of a, it, it doesn't, 
the idiom doesn't transfer over to our day, but he talks about the eye uh, being healthy and, and dark and that type of thing. And what it's talking about is generosity. Okay, so with the things that we do have, we are to be generous as Christians. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so the eye being healthy was an, an, an idiom of looking out for others and, and being generous with what you have versus being stingy and dark. And then he goes on in verse 24 to say that we should be wholly devoted to the Lord our God. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do both. You know, there's, there's things in life, Oreos and milk, you can have both, right? But you can't serve God and money. You have to pick one. But what about taking care of yourself? Right? When we're starting to talk about possessions... What about life's necessities? Well, Jesus goes on here, and this is, to me is fascinating. God, God promises to feed you, keep you alive, and clothe you as you prioritize his kingdom and righteousness. He promises to feed you, clothe you, and keep you alive as you prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness. It's, it's like... With the new babies that we come in, when the babies are first born, they're reliant on you for everything, right? You have to feed them. You have to change their clothes. You have to put them to bed. You have to make sure they stay alive, right? You have to protect them. That's basically what God is saying. He says, look, if you focus on my kingdom and my righteousness, I will provide what you need. I'll take care of you. Look at verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? We have so many clothes in my house. Now, not all of them fit, but that's my fault. But Jesus is talking about a much more basic level, right? Just the basic. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What a promise. The highest priority in your life should be God's kingdom and His righteousness. God will feed you, keep you alive, and clothe you as you prioritize His kingdom and His righteousness. But what about when it seems like he's not going to? What about when the bills are coming in and there's late fees or 
things are really tight, unexpected expenses, and it just doesn't seem like God is going to provide. It's easy to believe this verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's easy to believe this verse until you're hungry and you're not sure where your next meal is coming from. It's easy to believe the promises of God when life is good. But what about when it isn't? Let's look at a time in Abram's life when his faith was tested and he failed. Look at Genesis 12, and we're going to be looking at verse 9. But as we come into this, there's a famine in the land. And I want you to know this morning that a lack of faith in God's ability to provide will lead you to lose sight of your purpose. It will lead you to lose sight of your purpose. First of all, I want you to see the lack of faith in God's ability to provide leads to self-reliant plans to leave the place God wants me. Look at Genesis 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Two times we're told about this famine. Abram decides to take things into his own hands, and he goes down into Egypt, and he finds himself outside the promised land, which the Lord had promised to him. And so a lack of faith causes him to leave the place where God wants him to be, but then it also leads to deceptive schemes of provision and protection I put it this way, a lack of faith in God's ability to provide leads to deceptive schemes of provision and protection of myself at the expense of others. Look at what the scheme he comes up with in verses 11 through 13. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Abram is here concerned about providing for himself. Uh, When it says that it may go well with him, we're going to find out that Pharaoh gave him stuff and it went well for him. So it's talking about possessions. He's concerned about providing for himself, so he endangers his marriage so that it may go well with him. His hope is that whoever desires Sarai will seek his favor with gifts. You see, in Abraham's culture, if the father was dead, the brother of a woman would negotiate the dowry. An example of this is found later in Genesis when Laban negotiates the terms for his sister Rebekah in her marriage to Isaac. Abram probably here is hoping to negotiate a deal for, for provisions for his wife and then escape before the marriage ceremony. Okay? I know we all tend to have this thought that Abraham's this perfect guy, but no, he's a sinner just like us, and he's got a deceptive plan here to take advantage of people and then escape. The problem is Pharaoh does deal well with Abraham, Abram, But there's no negotiations. He takes Sarah first and then provides. Now, Abram's in a famine situation. He's hungering. I want us to connect now to Christ at this point. 
In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4, it we're told that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Maybe the greatest understatement found in the Bible, right? I go a few hours without food, and I'm hungry. I can't imagine 40 days. So Christ is fasting. He's, he's in the wilderness. There's nothing there for him. He's hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is more concerned about God's kingdom and his righteousness than he is for food, even when he's hungry. You see, unlike Abram, he is trusting the Lord in his hunger. And beloved, I don't think any of you are worried about your meal today. If you are, please see me or Pastor Tad and we can help with that. Okay, But, but you may be concerned about God's provision in some area of your life. Don't lose focus on God's purpose for you, his kingdom, and his righteousness. Abram's also concerned for his life. He's like, boy, they'll see her, and they'll want to take her, and they'll kill me since I'm her husband. And so he endangers his bride. And, and this calls us back to Adam, because Adam was standing there when Satan tempted Eve, and he did not intervene and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, don't partake of this Eve. He did not protect her. He let her go much to the detriment of our whole entire human race. Abram here actually pushes his wife out in front of him to protect himself, but not Jesus. In John 18, verses 8 through 9, when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, they're trying to find him, and Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. Christ came, and he knew they were looking for him. He knew they were going to crucify him, and he protected his bride, the church. He loved the church to die for it. Now, as a sidebar, husbands are to love their wives in Ephesians 5.25 as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So, men, you are to love the church and you're, excuse me, you're to love your wife and give yourself for her. You are to protect her. You're not to use her for protection. You're to protect her. You're to provide for her. And you're to present her, as Christ does the church, to the Lord without spot or wrinkle. Now, in our society, a second warning here. As we begin, our society, we don't have a whole ton of problems with lack, although many people do lack for food and that type of thing. I think here in our congregation, we don't. But what we do have is we have people seeking careers, men and women. And our careers become a higher priority than our marriage or a higher priority than our purpose of seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so I would warn you, society wants you to get to, to, to make your career everything. What I'm telling you is make your 
Make God's kingdom your everything. Follow Him and His righteousness. Put your family over your career. Put God's kingdom over everything. Seek it first and God will provide for you. So when you are faced with a possible lack of provision, you may be tempted to become self-reliant and take the bull by the horns, if you will. Now this can cause you to lose sight of your purpose and make deceptive plans or schemes for provision for yourself at the expense of others. Now, I once heard a guy say, you know what pragmatism is? The ends justify the means. So if I, if I need food, then I can steal food or I can come up with a deceptive plan to have food. Or if I need money, I can, I can deceive people and come up with pragmatism. The end, what I get, is more important than the way I get it. And it's an anti-biblical thing. But I heard one pastor say one time, the problem with pragmatism is it works. Okay? The problem with pragmatism is it works. And, and here we see that, that Abram's deceptive plans for provision kind of work. They kind of work. Look at, look at verses 14 through 16. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Abraham is enriched. And again, he's probably, he was probably hoping to negotiate some provisions and then get out of town before the wedding. But Pharaoh doesn't negotiate. He takes first and deals later. And Pharaoh does deal well with Abram but only after he has taken Sarai. Now, I want you to know we've been looking for patterns in the Scriptures as we go through here. Do you notice Pharaoh's same pattern that he had with Eve? He saw, he desired, he took, and then there's disaster. Right? That's the same pattern we saw with Eve. She saw the fruit of the tree, she desired it, she partook of it, calamity. Pharaoh goes through that same pattern with Sarai. Abram's deceptive plan kind of worked. Deceptive plans that we make often seem to work initially, but not like we thought they would. And often others are put in jeopardy because of our deception. Abram desired provisions and he got them in abundance The Lord enriches Abram through Pharaoh just like he did with the nation of Israel when they left Egypt. But Abram's abundance was gained through deception. Abram's abundance here that he gains from Pharaoh is not a blessing in his life. Because right after this, Lord willing, the next time we're in Genesis, this abundant provision causes a division between Abram and Lot. They can't live close to one another because their servants are fighting over land. And then Sarai, down here in Egypt, gains a, gains a female servant by the name of Hagar. And Hagar is going to be misused and bring continuing strife to the nation of Israel. The gains that Abram gets through his deceptive plans are not a blessing in his life. You see, Proverbs 10.2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. 
Proverbs 20, 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Christian, be careful how you pursue wealth. Don't be deceptive. There will be consequences. Sir Walter Scott said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Abram desired provisions and he got them, but the expense was losing his wife. How would he become a great nation of people without his wife? What would become of the promised offering that would bless the nations? How are God's promises going to come to fruition without Sarai? Everything has been put into jeopardy, but thankfully, the Lord's plans will not be thwarted, even by our sinful decisions. Look at Genesis twelve seventeen through 20. The Lord intervenes for Sarai and his promised offspring. It says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. You see, the Lord is sovereign. He will work to preserve his people for himself. Sarai is protected from Pharaoh and from the plagues that came upon Pharaoh's household. We can assume, I think, pretty safely that other people in Pharaoh's household were plagued, possibly with illnesses or whatever, but Sarai wasn't. It was obvious that she was the problem. The Israelites to which Moses wrote this story originally would surely recognize the similarities to their exodus out of Egypt and their deliverance. So they themselves are an amplified fulfillment of the promise made to Abram, but that will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ in the new creation. The children of Israel are to take Cain and entrust the Lord to provide for them. No need for scheming and deception. The Lord will provide for them. So as you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Lord will provide for you. No need to fret over necessities. God has the ability to provide for you as you prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness. And God has promised to provide for you as long as you prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness. Many times throughout the ministry here at Faith, Kim and I were tested with, were we going to have enough? But God provided. We were tempted to try to do other things, take a second job, do whatever. But God provided. He's been very gracious in our lives through the years. And God will be gracious to you too as you prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness. But what about those times when you tried to take control of things because you doubted the Lord's ability to provide? What about when you have practiced deception and manipulation at the expense of others? It's, it's not always, you know, when you're worried about uh, paying the bills. It could be even be like uh, you're, you're in a situation at work and you have a position and then suddenly you feel threatened by the next up-and-coming guy that's coming up and maybe you scheme and manipulate to make him or her look bad so that they don't take your job or whatever the case may be. You, you lack faith in God's ability to provide for you. 
despite the people that are around you, and you begin to scheme and manipulate. What about when you've done that? What, what about when you've been like Abraham and practiced deception? Well, you need to repent of your sin and trust the consequences to the Lord. Repent of your sin and trust the consequences to the Lord. One of the signs of true repentance is whatever the consequences are, you're, you're willing to accept them. If, if you're not willing to accept the consequences, then you're probably just sorry you got caught. But repent and trust the consequences to the Lord. Abram does this. He, he repents, if you will, but the consequences come and he deals with them as they come. Now, the question becomes, though, can we expect that God will always do for us what he did for Abram, as far as like intervening with plagues and things like that? I don't think we can expect God to do what he did for Abram on that magnitude because the Lord intervened in order to keep his promise of Jesus Christ through Abram and Sarah, right? The the Messiah was at stake there. But then what are we to expect? Well, most importantly, we're to expect forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we repent and we trust the consequences to the Lord because He is still working, right? He's still got a plan that He's working, and He's working through us. And so there's, there's, a, there's a, an expectation that He will forgive and that He will continue to use you. Okay. Now he may not. He may. He may. Depending on what sin you committed and how great the deception was and that type of thing, he, your your ministry may look quite different. But he can still use you. As for the consequences, we just have to trust those to the Lord who providentially works in all of our situations to bring about His purposes, His kingdom. But as soon as possible. After you repent of your sins, you need to get back to where you were, prioritizing his kingdom and his righteousness in his life. That's what Abram did. Look at Genesis 13, 1 through 4. He's been kicked out of Egypt. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You see, when he first came into the land of Canaan, he settled there, he built an altar, he called upon the name of the Lord. He got away from that, went down into Egypt. Now he's back. He goes back to where he was, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. You see, a lack of faith in God's ability to provide will lead you to lose sight of your purpose. Instead of working for God's kingdom, you start working for your own provision. But God's promised to provide that. When faced with a a possible lack of provision, you may be tempted to become self-reliant and take control of the situation. This can cause you to lose sight of your purpose and make deceptive schemes of provision for yourself at the expense of others. Don't do it. I know it seems like it will work. And again, the problem with pragmatism is it does, but oftentimes the, what you get is not really a blessing, just like in Abram's situation. Your faith in God's ability to provide for you keeps you focused on God's mission. You need to have faith in God's ability 
to provide for you so you can stay focused on God's kingdom and righteousness. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not saved, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, look, you need to get on board and make Christ your king and follow him and get on mission. Okay? So I urge you, turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Savior and follow him with your life. But for everyone else that's here, if you claim Christ as your king... My first question for you is, are you on mission at all? Perhaps you arrived here this morning and, and you've not been on mission. You've not been about God's kingdom. Like, what, what are you doing to grow God's kingdom? Who are you trying to evangelize? Who are you discipling? Who are you praying for? How are you serving others in the kingdom? Are you on mission at all? If not, repent and get back to that place where you are on mission. Okay? But perhaps you are on mission and God's brought a trying situation where you are questioning whether he will provide. Trust him. Trust him in the difficulties. This is where our faith is built. Our faith is expressed. It's where our faith is shown not only to ourselves, but our brethren and those around us in the, in the world. Trust Christ, even when it seems crazy to trust Christ. Trust Him. He will provide. Keep focused on serving God and being righteous as He is righteous. So, are you on mission? If you are on mission and you're in a difficult situation, trust, trust, trust. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All your necessities will be taken care of. A lack of faith in God's ability to provide leads to self-reliant plans that are not kingdom-focused. A lack of faith in God's ability to provide leads to deceptive schemes to provide and protect yourself at the expense of others. Self-reliant, deceptive plans for provision initially seem to work, but not like you planned. They jeopardize God's purposes and end up not really being a blessing. But the Lord's plans will not be thwarted. So if you find yourself in a pickle as a result of your lack of faith in God's provision, then repent. And if the Lord graciously spares you in that situation, get back to serving the Lord and trust Him as you deal with the consequences of your sin. Because he will continue to use you. Thank God that God uses imperfect people. As one person put it, God, uses, God, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Okay? God can still use us. So, let's be about God's business today as Faith Baptist Church. Let's be about God's business. If you're not a member here at Faith Baptist Church and you're looking for a church, join us. Become a member. If you're not a Christian, I urge you to repent of your sin, trust Christ your Savior, and then be baptized and join us here at Faith Baptist Church as we strive to follow Jesus together and encourage one another to follow Christ with our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of Abram. And Father, how you used him despite him in this situation. And Father, I thank you that you use us who are of little faith to do your work. 
Father, this morning I pray for those who are in difficult situations. They face trials or they're in the midst of trials where they question your provision. I pray that you will strengthen their faith this morning to trust you through the trial and remain focused on your purposes and your righteousness. Strengthen them, Lord, by your grace. You you said you would take care of them, Lord. I ask you to to keep your promises in their lives. And then, Father, for those who have never trusted you, I pray, show them the goodness of Jesus and the depths of their sin. And Lord, I pray, give them a new heart to where they can believe you and follow you with their lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.